there was a time when uh, Rinpoche first started teaching. He was teaching at Naropa in 1974, and he uh, held a, a dorje and, and actually held that in his hand. If you ever look at those real old black and white movies of him teaching, and, and you'll see him holding a dorje. And he held, they did that for a little while, and then he stopped and he didn't do anything, and then he, then he uh, started using a fan. So he was, it was a gold fan. So I'm not quite as clever with it as he was. He could make it snap. The person only had one hand that worked, so the other one was crippled. What's the title? This won't last. This won't last. This won't last. I hope not. Let's get this over with. So this won't last. The idea there is the teaching, obviously, of impermanence. I'm always saying the same thing over and over. I like to say the things that are important that sometimes that uh, we don't uh, doesn't seem to sink in I guess would be the traditional way of uh, talking about trying to teach somebody something so I often use the the four reminders um, especially the first one seems to be very important first contemplate the preciousness of being free and well favored difficult to gain easy to lose now I must do something meaningful so now um, so many people are doing something else but it postponing, um, doing what we're endeavoring to do here, which is what? Try, trying to see what is true for ourselves. It's that, it's that simple. So um, in thinking about what to talk about, which I sometimes can't always come up with something. Uh, today it was a very a very obvious that Uno and I went to uh, hospice where uh, um, Phoebe Clark is, uh, is passing, getting ready to leave. She has uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, she, I don't think she would mind me saying something about it. She could probably have lived a little bit longer, but her feeding tube came out and she just decided to leave it out. So she uh, decided, and some of you, all, most of you, quite a few of you have met her when she's come. Um, so that's uh, um, an interesting thing. She she can't. She can no longer use the little writing board. Board. She has to point to alphabet on a board, A, B, C, D, like that. And then uh, she can't even point to that. So you have to say row number one, row number two. And she spelled out uh, not long. So that's what she's contemplating right now. So that's kind of what I thought about. Even the worst situation doesn't last. Even the best situation doesn't last. All of them. Have you noticed that? It's like. We tend to kind of block that out when we don't really contemplate that when we're really feeling bad to think this won't last or when we're really feeling good this won't last nothing lasts and of course uh, impermanence that's one of the three marks of existence traditional teaching of the buddha that says basically uh, life is suffering uh, there's no no self in the skandhas and of course impermanence nothing lasts just a way of looking at what our life is, and those are three things that characterize being alive and existence. It doesn't last. It's uh, replete with frustration, difficulty, discomfort, um, uh, uh, lacking in satisfaction, any real, real satisfaction. The three types of suffering, uh, uh, suffering uh, the pain of pain, which is uh, like a toothache or something like that, that is part of having nerve endings. The pain of alternation, which is the one that tied in with... Uh, impermanence, which uh, something happens and you're here and this is going on and then you can see 
it's because you've been looking around, uh, not going to last. So you're beginning to suffer already because you know it's not going to last. Life is like that. However, I would say that uh, if you if you see what this is, then that, it doesn't work in quite the same way because you're because you're understanding about who you are is no longer firmly uh, locked into or meshed with or embedded in the causes and conditions of relative truth. <clears throat> it's also not separated from it so that it's totally different and totally better and totally higher and totally holy and totally something else. But it's an interesting area. Uh, each of us can uh, look at any situation that's been going on and see where, whatever it was, just pick out any emotion, feeling, state of mind in the last couple of days, and it's not here. If it is here, then uh, then we have sometimes uh, things like depression tend to go on and on and on. Some people have that so powerful that they they have to be institutionalized, or they might even decide that it, I'm just going to end my life because they assume that this is what's uh, is the cause of the problem is uh, being alive, maybe somewhat. Very good not to particularly jump to a conclusion about anything, including the three marks, including suffering. Listen to it. This is what, what I, the way I like to talk about this is listen to it, consider it, keep it where you can relate to it, but don't necessarily believe it. Because when, as soon as you believe anything, you stop looking at it. You you don't look at it as as a uh, something that is a presentation of the teachings of the nature of reality. You start to just believe it, put it aside. Uh, something that happens in theistic approaches to spirituality. Seeing the flower arrangement in the, in the screen, very nice. So it'd be good to have some questions if you have them. What does it mean to be prepared for death? I, I think being prepared for death for death is to have uh, have an understanding of what the, of these provisional teachings, and also, and that's going to happen. That preparation will become stronger and stronger when you, when you begin to understand what that actually is. What it actually is is nothing happens, uh, and that's not meant to be some kind of a mystical thing. It's just that. What's happening, what's coming and going are things that come into existence, pass out. Things come and they hang around for a bit and then they go. Uh, and But who we are doesn't really come and go in the same way. It doesn't come and go. Who you actually are. Perception only. Go ahead, please. When we know that something is uh, imminent, um, it's easier, it seems to prepare for it. Like if we know death is soon or if we have a... Maybe if you say you're giving a Dharma talk this Saturday, but we know that things like death can be, this is the form yeah. you say, without warning. So mm -hmm. is there a way to um, contemplate something when part of you still thinks it's not actually going to happen? I contemplate that. The part of you that thinks it's not actually going to happen. Or just just the uh, complete uncertainty. There was a book by, was it Pema Chodron, The Wisdom of Insecurity, I think it was. And so it's uh, what's being said there in that book title, which is a pretty good one, is that you, you don't really, there's, there's, wisdom, there's only room for wisdom to come up when there is insecurity uh, as far as the self-centeredness of the ego or the klesha mind, that, that part of the mind, the seventh consciousness, that part that just wants this and doesn't want that. 
well, you can experience that in your life of things you, you really want and things you don't want. And we're not saying you should try to push the other way and kind of reverse it necessarily, although that's what Tong Lin practice does, somewhat reversing that. Uh, but you could bring your awareness to that so you can you can see, that, just watch the way you, uh, not just you, but me, anyone. We, we kind of push away things we don't like and we gather in things we want more of or we want to uh, befriend. So again, for the 15,000th millionth time, it's about awareness. It's about the space in which everything occurs. Space doesn't do anything. But consciousness itself or a wisdom is more akin to something like space than it is to phenomena that arises and thought passes away. So it's not actually something. Just a a way of thinking about it. We don't really know what it is more. Yes. Shoto. Going off what she is on asked about preparing for death, I think in this past book study, you quoted someone saying um, we have to die before our death or something. Mm -hmm. Those lines. Is that a way to prepare? I was just, I don't know what the context was, but it was, uh, and it, I'm quoting someone, I can't remember who it is. It seems like it's out of the, out of the Western tradition rather than uh, Buddhist, but I don't know. But uh, if you don't die before you die, you'll have to die when you die. So it's, it's just all it's really saying isn't all that uh, whoop de doo. It's just that if you don't see that there isn't anyone, that you can't die. That's what they mean by dying. What, I don't know what they meant, but that's what I mean when I when I tune into that. That's what it shows up to me. There isn't anyone to die, and so if you if you if you you see that, you see that you're you're already. Even Trump Rinpoche said uh, on more than one occasion. I didn't count them, but uh, listening to me is like listening to a dead man. And I, I'm not, not going to say that myself necessarily. I mean, I might. Maybe I have already. Um, but it doesn't matter. It's like it's like that. It's like this, this is all, uh, if you understand this, uh, it's, it's all over. From the, if you look at it from the relative sense. If you don't look at it from, from any, relative, any sense, relative or ultimate, or, then it's just this. It's just this, as it says on the banner. It's just... Uh, what it says here on the scroll is just, it's just an encouragement to just look in front of you. And, and of course, when we do that, we tend to look for something. When actually the very thing you're looking at is not separate. And it's, it's barking that at you. It's, as it's uh, said in the uh, teachings, uh, everything is preaching the Dharma. Everything is saying, not separate, not separate. You can hear the little voices out of the, coming out of the wallpaper. Everything is telling you it's not separate. It's, it's, it's very, existence is very presence is you can see it that it's not separate in the sense that it doesn't look like something else. I wouldn't say it looks just like you, but, it, but it's, it doesn't look like something other. Yes. Does our looking for something take us away from what we're looking at? Well, it's, it's a place to start. So we start by doing that and then, uh, you know, then depending on your situation. So I don't, necessarily in this uh, teaching by uh, uh, Punjaji, um, uh, Punja, uh, Papaji, that's his name. Uh, he would say to his students, you can see him on a video on YouTube, he's, he's, he's always chuckling at them anyway. He says, uh, give up the search, give up the search, but he has them right there. You know, he's, uh, you know, how, what their sitting practice is, I don't know. They've really checked into it. But he has some teachers there. I mean, when I say has some, he's passed away now, but there are people, uh, there's a woman by the name of Gangaji, who's one of his students. Uh, also, uh, the fellow who wrote the book on the Enneagram was a student of his. 
can't think of his name. Uh, he renamed himself. You remember it? Eli Jacksonberry. Huh? Eli Jacksonberry. Yeah. He was, I think he was a student of his. So rather than than try to do something, you just continue to look. That's what looking at the wall is, looking at the floor, looking at the the back of your you know, inside of your medicine cabinet. You know, it's just it's just that it's just that. And if you if you do that and you recognize it, you you might come and say, "I see what you mean," but you won't necessarily need my uh, stamp of approval. And since you wouldn't need my stamp of approval, you probably would get it. And how would that show up? I'd say, yep, that's it. <laughs> Good luck. We're going through something difficult or negative. Um, if someone were to say to us, this won't last, you know, for me, I, I probably wouldn't like that. It would feel disrespectful somehow, mm -hmm. depending on who it is. Yes. Um, so and I, let me say something about that. I, for, you know, it might work okay if I say that because I'm functioning as your teacher, but if somebody else says, this won't last, just don't worry about it. So uh, I would be very careful uh, even if I said that to someone because it not, might not be helpful. Uh, you know, one, a person has to see that themselves. They have to see that and see, this, this won't last. Like, uh, I'm just uh, thinking, I know I'm interrupting your question, but you have a good memory because you're really young. And just like uh, to pick on Britt a little bit, you know, Britt had illness yesterday and to come up to Britt and say, when she was feeling like crap, to come up and say, and you're okay now, I understand, yeah. But to go and say, yeah, this won't last. Oh, thank you. I need to see her now. She's such a cheerful girl, woman. But yeah, you, you don't, we don't really, we don't, we don't want to hear that. Go ahead, please. So... If we're feeling that difficulty, is it helpful to say that to ourselves? We could. And if you're doing it, then you're kind of ready to hear it. I mean, you know, you can turn around and lecture yourself. Lecture yourself. That's what slogans are about. Everything is dependently arisen. Just you can't find anything that is that just got here all by itself and is something that is just here without all without the obvious thing is like a tree. You have to have ground. You have to have minerals. You have to have rain. You have to have light. You, and with us, it's, you know, all the different things that have to come together for there to even be a human being. And when we die, that all, we don't, we don't know what happens next, if anything. Can saying that to ourselves actually be a form of trying to get away from that negativity? Not if you're in this monastery. Yeah. The way to get away from that kind of negativity is to leave the monastery. And I, I highly recommend you stay here. And again, it's not a prison. But you're, all of you, those of you who live here and those of you who come here and practice are here because uh, you, you want to be. No one's, no one's promised you anything. If they have, it certainly wasn't me. I just said, this is, this is a way to train your mind. So you, 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 that's why people, when they come here, are pretty sincere about this. <clears throat> they might have their you know, um, difficulty with it, but pretty, you're not looking around for somebody to say, reaffirm well just stick with it you know you'll i'm not going to say that to you just just stick with it it'll it'll get better maybe it won't so that just very interesting area more shoto when you say nothing happens it's easy for me to add something to that like nothing happens when i die um nothing happening right now 
nothing is happening. If you, if, but in order, to, this I'm just uh, I didn't come up with that. That's something a 16th Karmapa said on his deathbed. Nothing happens, and you know because it was him. It's like people went, mm, nothing happens. Mm, nothing, you know, powerful teaching. They made a bumper sticker, and people for the next four or five years around Chicago, you'd see nothing happens bumper stickers. No, I didn't have one. But there's there's something about about that. Just because of his situation, because of that, you know, that something about that kind of, you know, sticks a little bit. When you're constantly working with existence, non-existence, uh, the, the change of feeling pretty good and then having suffering come out of nowhere and kind of blindside you. And then suddenly you're back in some, and then you start to feel better again. <coughs> so we're not, it's not denying that those aren't occurrences. It's not, it's, it's saying that fundamentally nothing happens. And the only way that, the only way that you'll see that is if, is if your consciousness, I'll say this as directly as I can, resides in perception only. Because if it's in perception only, then it doesn't see anything but itself. And so, so you, you don't see anything but yourself. And, and then even though the hands are moving and things like that, fundamentally nothing's happening. What are the function of all these in, intensely complicated forms that have arisen out of Buddhism when it, it seems that the direct teaching is very simple? Uh, people trying to think of things to do to keep themselves occupied while they're trying to learn this. <laughs> I mean, it's like that. It's like, you do the, these guys are going to leave if we just stay. This is it. You know, can't. I'm not saying there aren't teachers that, that did that, that had all just like uh, the fellow in the, what, the 17th century in Japan who talked about just stay in your Buddha nature. He was a Rinzai teacher. He didn't say go sit down face the wall. He just says stay in your Buddha nature. What was his name? Banke. Huh? Banke. I think it's Banke Itaku or Yotaku, one of the two. One of those tacos. <laughs> <laughs> Banke, and he was uh, he, he, a, he drew a lot of a, you know um, criticism from regular lineage uh, situation because he would just just stay in your Buddha nature. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to meditate. You don't have to do anything. Just stop, stop doing other stuff. Go ahead. Is that is that valid? Can you not do anything? It, it was a valid teaching. You, know, you read the book. You haven't read that. I thought everybody read that. Book. <laughs> it's one of the few entertaining books in the building. <laughs> Everything else is hard work. Um, well, it's, I think it's in the Hojo. But anyway, uh, because of his understanding, when he would say that, it, it was powerful because he was genuine, he was sincere, he was uh, apparently was uh, present, and he was a Rinzai teacher. So he, it isn't like he was teaching, you know, hitting people with sticks and making them uh, mind and everything. And uh, that some kind of that famous militancy of the that came out of the Shinto and the um, Rinzai tradition. Um, but fundamentally, that's, you could do that. On the other hand, you can, also, you can also approach it through the conceptual level, which is as we're doing with the teaching of Jeffrey Hopkins' book, Meditation on Emptiness. That is not someone who's directly pointing out the nature of the mind. On the other hand, he does get to that in there. He does start to talk about that, but there's all this, uh, this long gravel road that leads up to it. And it takes a while, uphill and flip-flops. Not easy. I mean, that's what it feels like. You feel like you don't have the right tools, doesn't it? I mean, you feel like, this is hard. I don't have the right tools to do this. Actually, you do. It's just uh, 
what you're doing is as a meditator, uh, not 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 talking to. I'm only talking to people that that can connect with this teaching. This, there may be another way that you should be looking at this if you're tuning into this. Maybe you should find another uh, source for the Dharma. But the way I teach it is, you're totally well equipped. You have your karma. You have you have dozens, if not hundreds, of Dharma gates. You just have to take everything that happens to you and turn it into a Dharma gate. In other words, as it is, as it is, whatever's happening to you is totally, completely appropriate. If I uh, if I got up from here and walked out and had a stroke uh, and died, which is very possible at my age, uh, it would be totally appropriate. There would be nothing that would be wrong with that. There's nothing to correct. It's just a misunderstanding. Unlikely to happen, but it could. Yes? When we see something die, there's already a this. How do we see the this um, when it's being born? Paraphrase yourself, young man. Uh, you say, um, this won't last. Yes. So death. Got it. This death won't last. Won't, you know, but what, what's the start of that is the same as the end of it, but how do you see the start of it? The this. The this? Does that work? This won't where's my, last. Where's my English teacher at? The this, can you say that? The this won't last? Because he just made this into a noun, right? Huh? Yeah? All right. Well, there's your answer. <laughs> so what you're looking for is that when we're saying this this won't last, then you're, you're saying what is the, what is the this? This situation, this thing that's changing constantly. Change, impermanence, impermanence, impermanence. Nothing lasts. Ultimate teaching is uh, nothing happens. We, we need the provisional teachings to start to walk the path, to come into this. Everyone in here has been through a little bit different, a different variety of, of coming into this. Some people come in immediately. Some people know ahead of time, uh, may not know what they're getting into, but some people know when they're yell Shoka is a good example of someone who knew a long time ago. He wanted to be a Buddhist monk. He didn't even know what a Buddhist monk was. And he still doesn't know, even though he is one. <laughs> I like to say that. Like to say that. <laughs> that was fun. I'm not sure if that's... A, is, is there a way um, to say this won't last birth? Yeah, if you, you can say a death won't last. Nothing lasts. And, but the ultimate understanding is if you see that birth and death are not separate, Success and failure are not separate. You can't find two separate things anywhere because of dependent origination. If you see this, then you see nothing happens. This is a, that's why this is called. Uh, Coleman calls it a mystery. It's a, it's a, it's an illusion, although it's you know it's solid. You can't. But the thing is, you can do this to wood, but you can't do it to smoke. It won't make a sound. No thing. Yes. It's easy to see something visual or auditory as an illusion, but how can you experience something solid as an illusion? Well, start somewhere. Start with uh, an area that would be easier to do that, sight or sound. Start there, and then the, the more intimate, the more intimate, the more difficult it is. I think taste and smell, things like that, are they're just they're just so intimate, and there's no the thought process around those is minimal if you you can't you can say something tastes sweet or tastes sour or you can say a few things but there's not much and yet look at all the different ways things taste 
I mean, there, there's countless. There's nothing, an avocado is nothing like uh, uh, grapefruit. An avocado, you could say, well, an avocado is a, a little bit the texture of a banana almost, but not exactly. You know, it's, uh, bananas aren't that greasy. I mean, there's just so many different, the nuance there is incredible. The nuance in, in all the senses is like that. So that that's why when I'm always saying, I think I'm almost saying, look at the texture of things. Look at the texture of the thoughts rather than the, rather than the content. Look at the texture of the avocado rather than the name avocado or what it is or that grows on a tree and all the other dependently arisen things that you use to make things separate. Find the dependent origination that is not necessarily supporting the idea of there's a tree and there's this and there's this. They're all separated. That's why starting with sight is so valuable. If you can start with sight, that's powerful because sight of all the sense consciousnesses, that's the one that look, makes it look like everything really is separate. It's over there. Whereas sound is a little fishy because sometimes it's, the sound is part of you. Why is it like thoughts are almost like sounds? Why is that? Probably because you're a Pisces. <laughs> that's a joke. It's okay to laugh. Paraphrase. I mean, paraphrase what you're saying. What are you, what are you actually asking me? We don't know. That's a that's a good question, though. <clears throat> we we really don't know. We kind of know what they do. They give us a hard time. We kind of know what they do. You can't you can't interfere with them. But they seem to arise in that area that we call consciousness. And but you can't actually see the front of them. You can't see the back of them. Uh, you just know that you you're no longer thinking about uh, something you were thinking about ten minutes ago. You're no longer thinking about that. It's gone. Yet it's completely. Uh, present all the time. You can return to that anytime. It's, it's, it's in a dimension that is not the same as the dimension of this moving down and hitting that the top of the altar. So it's in, a, it's in another kind of dimension. You, you and me and all of us, everyone is, in, is both in this dimension of relative uh, bouncing around and hearing and smelling and tasting and touching, all those sense fields. And then the, the, the mind is actually uh, shows us a, a deeper, a more profound dimension that doesn't seem to be subject to time and space. The space is, is arbitrary in that area. It's, you can, it's so amazing you can do anything with it. I'm always give, giving examples of just you know, making up stuff. You can make up, uh, there's a cardboard box. We're all opening the cardboard box and you look in it, there's an elephant this big. What color is it? Okay, I didn't tell you that. You thought of the pink. So immediately the mind is just ready to spring into action and just make up stuff. That shows you, and, that, and we all saw that. We all saw that. Any, probably somebody saw a blue elephant. But, but we all saw something like that. And, I, of course, we all saw the same Amazon box. <laughs> logo on the side. Uh, but, but, but it's the, the, the potency of the mind to completely generate anything. It's just an astonishing uh, situation to... This is what happens when you sit down and face a wall. You see, your mind can just go anywhere. You can, and I don't try uh, teach uh, in such a way that I try to get you to train your mind to be still and be mindful and all of that. I just don't. But that that doesn't come out of uh, particularly judging other people that are doing it. They should do that if they want to. If their teacher says that, and they, they should do that. But if you're listening to me, then um, then you think of me as your teacher, then I would say, just watch what moves. 
because what moves is actually that part of your mind that you, you really need to keep track of. One person and just might be just daydreams all day long, just daydreaming wills. Well, another person might be just sexual fantasies. Another person's not doing it. Another person is, is uh, kind of in some kind of a, like a, a space where nothing's happening. I've had people come to me and say, nothing really happens when I meditate. And I say, keep sitting. Nothing lasts. Even that, that apparent space of just calm, peace. I'm so peaceful. Everything is so smooth. It won't last. Yes? So that's the part of our mind we need to keep track of? I did. What does it mean? What did I mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that American Sign Language? No, I was like flipping the background because somehow that moved oh. back over here. I didn't want to. No, got it. Yeah. See it now. That's, I'm over in America, I think. Um, and when I say keep track of, I'm not saying keep tabs on it necessarily, but just, uh, just watch what's moving. If you sit down and hold your body very still, the very thing that you need to, to see, it's been my experience. That's why I talk about it that way. It took a long time. Oh doing the other way and trying to train my mind to be still so that I could see, so that I could have shamatha and vipassana. I'm not saying that won't work wonderfully for you, especially if you have a lama for a teacher who was uh, born in Tibet or something like that, maybe. But the way it looks here is just watch what is moving and you'll be able to see more clearly this. You'll see not only what moves and by not accepting it, rejecting it, not pushing it away, doing nothing with it, you will eventually start to see the space in which that occurs. That space in which, the space in which the thoughts occur uh, is about as close as you're going to get to the nature of the mind itself. It doesn't do anything. Sound familiar? Nothing happens. Nothing happens. We're not saying phenomena doesn't come and go, which are impermanent, they show up and leave, show up and leave, lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. But, but the fundamental nature is nothing's happening. And you could, you might ask me. So, Sokazan, is that is nothing happening to you? Didn't ask me that yet. Don't. Too late. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you. Good question. Yes. Um, so, what would it be like to stay in our Buddha nature? Well, the simplest way that you've heard me talk about is no warfare. Just the, the any kind of. Uh, Difficulty or anything that would come up would just it would just start to collapse into itself. It wouldn't because you wouldn't object, you wouldn't agree with it, you wouldn't object to it, you wouldn't look away. And I'm not saying that would happen uh, in you know, ten seconds, but by just returning to that simple situation. So would there be some kind of a phrase or something that we can remind ourselves of that? Just say that. My way of saying it is: don't add. Don't, don't do anything, anything that arri arises, don't add nothing to it. Don't, don't name it. Don't explain it. Don't evaluate it. Don't do anything. It takes a while. Don't do anything with it. And if you, uh, what's interesting about it is, uh, is by, how can I say this so that it makes sense? By, by taking that approach, you, that pr probably will never go away because you, you'll just continue to add. You'll keep working on that. But what does happen is the one who adds is seen through. Just by endeavoring to not add, not subtract, not divide, uh, by not doing that, then you start to see who, who has been doing this all this time. And then you see that it is uh, the imputed self, the, the ego, the imaginary self. And, and you see that it's unreal. 
so now that it's unreal, you still have your, you're still here, you're still a human being, you still have your karma to deal with, you still have karma coming and going, but it's no longer, so that's one you sometimes hear me say that you, you even if you go to war, you know, it still not, doesn't have the same kind of gravitas that it does if there's someone who's got an axe to grind and they're going to grind it on your head. So that same kind of energy can arise, but there, there's no, uh, there's no, um, uh, there's no perpetrator anymore. And there's no victim. There's just energy. And the energy may manifest out of karma that is still uh, trying to find its way, so to speak. You, you can't, you can't, just because there is an understanding, even a deep understanding, there's still a physical situation that's happening here. And there's still karma that is coming and going. Uh, this is the, the story of Yakujo's fox is about that. When they asked, uh, you know, someone uh, asked uh, Yakujo what happens to the, something about what happens to does the, the enlightened, enlightened person uh, uh, transcend their karma, have no more karma. And he, uh, as the story goes, I think, he, I think he thought about it for a minute, though. Yeah, probably would. Well, yeah. Yeah. And he immediately uh, was put to the back of the bus where there was uh, 300 lifetimes as a fox. He had to go through that. That's, I wouldn't call it punishment. I would just call it causes and conditions. He just happened to talk to someone who wanted to teach him a lesson. Yeah, it didn't work very good for me either. So, but, but the idea is that the, the, you aren't going to necessarily, as long as there's a physical manifestation that your consciousness is aligned with, then you aren't necessarily going to stop yourself from having a, a, you know, a sprained ankle or any other thing that you might run into. But the, but the fundamental distress uh, is, uh, no, it's, it's not the same. It's, it's been transformed, transcended, uh, trans-something or other. There's just no, uh, there's no issue or problem, so therefore you, you can just be here. Yes. Should emotions rise with the same intensity? They could. They might be even stronger. I mean, they could be. No guarantee of anything. And I'm coming from my understanding, which looks like um, anything can happen. Anything, any causes and conditions, anything can show up. It's extremely uh, complicated. As the Vajra regent Ursul Tenzin once said, samsara is notorious for being without end. And he didn't say it, but I'll say it. Yeah. Even if you attain enlightenment, that doesn't end samsara. You're just not separate from it anymore. Um, could you say something more about how, how is it that samsara, which is usually described as no longer functioning in that cycle, how that is not the case? Again, more. How is, how is um, if you realize what this is, how are you still in samsara? How are you still in that cycle? Uh, well, the causes and conditions that came about to get you into this lifetime are still operating, uh, but uh, the consciousness that, that is, uh, uh, is uh, normally is aligned with the gaining, getting, and not losing, and judging and evaluating and having opinions and, so, and, and emphasizing the reality of this, that that is, uh, has been seen through. And so, but that doesn't mean that the physical body is still here. So there still could be causes and conditions could still happen. Just, there would just be nothing extra. So you might still have a difficult time, but you wouldn't 
start moaning about your difficult time. You just notice that it's difficult. What is, <coughs> pardon me. What is liberation outside of physical existence? So, so what you're you're separating physical from spiritual and mental, and fundamentally, it's not separate. That's why it's uh, um, maybe that's why all these uh, these concepts. We have to go through all these concepts, you know, rather than just see our Buddha nature. I guess I'm thinking about at the time of death when you're no longer in a physical body. Um, what what happens if one is liberated and then their their physical body drops away? Well, we don't know for sure because we there's no guarantees of anything. We don't know each person's individual karma, the thing that brought you into this room, the thing that brought me into this room, or the things, all the different things that had to come about for this to even occur, uh, causes and conditions. And here we are actually contemplating how this all happened. And what, does, what does this mean fundamentally? We're contemplating that uh, with the help of the teachings of the Buddha who said everything is dependently arisen. So that means that find any one thing and it's not a, it doesn't have its own separate identity or its own self-nature. And the, the one to look at the closest is this one. If you go and look in the mirror and see what is in front of you, it's just a, a complete shock that there is anything at all. Or if you, you want to go deeper into that, I'm ready. You might come back and say, well, I already went into it. It didn't look like you can answer it. So you did. You, you, just, you said we can't know. Yeah. That... It'd, be, it'd be hard. We can't know in a, in a satisfactory, relative way. I mean, you know, I could kind of, I mean, there are teachers, uh, I'm sure, that will run down a bunch of concepts and hear, hear, chew on that. But I'm just saying, I don't know, I think I think uh, there's an open dimension there that is really powerful that has seen that you won't you won't need any kind of foothold. You won't need anything. You're, you're well, the word is li you're liberated. So you no longer, other people need them, so you think of things that will help them, but not help them so much that they'll miss their own liberation. You know, that's what belief does. You believe in something and it's it might help to do that, but actually it causes you to, even when you leave this world, to continue in that belief thing. Then we create all kinds of things in deeper realms and we follow that, or somebody else has created them and we, you know, we go follow Pat Robertson. Not to pick on Pat, yes. Um, Jim Johnson up in Muskegon, there are two of them listening in and uh, he has a four part question. Yes. He's, he asks, um, you often use the slogan, lose the war. And tonight you spoke of no warfare. Yes. If we always yield, does it matter if others use that to their advantage? Is this as it is? Or is that a misunderstanding? What is the correct understanding? So uh, if I understand your question, the way I would respond to that is say that uh, to we don't have to be too concerned about other people, whether they're taking advantage of us. If we do that, then we're right back into samsara trying to protect ourselves. Uh, fundamentally, we have to we have to do it for ourselves. We have to lose the war. We have to, and the only way you can do that is to see that there is a war, see that there is something. And I, I always talk about this one fist situation where losing the war seems like you, you're able to drop one of them where you fight back against the negativity. But the, but the negativity that's coming out of your karma might keep punching away for, it could, could even be years. could be a long time. And by losing the more war, you just don't, you're not going to fight with that anymore. And if someone else comes up and uh, seems to be part of your uh, 
warfare um, uh, cave-in, whatever you call it, then that's 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 their uh, that's their situation. You're not really uh, you don't, you're not responsible for fixing them, explaining to them, and t teaching them about lose the war. They, they're 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 coming to them. The, the very best thing anybody can run into is someone who is softening up, who's going to give an inch, who's actually going to allow maybe others to look a little bit better, or even to say, well, I won. Uh, it might, might be a good uh, practice. So uh, the way to care for those people is to actually allow them uh, to, um, you know, if, they, if it somehow makes them feel satisfied or happy to see you losing or you giving up or caving or however, whatever they're projecting onto you, because they don't really see the, they don't really see the warfare that you're not going to go against anymore. They don't see that. Only you see that. They might see somebody who's, you know, some kind of a coward or someone giving up. Or, <clears throat> but that's their situation. That's that's their part of their uh, karma, which is also not separate. More more to that question. A oh, good good uh, good question. Yes. I think Jim used the words "always yield." Is that the same? Is always yielding the same as losing the war? When I say lose the war, I'm just saying whatever negativity is arising. Don't fight with it. That may show up out here, and it may not. It may show up relating to somebody. Uh, if you're like I, when I've talked to inmates in prisons, uh, uh, I, you know, you don't want to be too much of a loser in there, be taken advantage of. So, uh, body language is very important. I've not been in a prison, but I've been in the Marine Corps, which might as well be a prison. Uh, and that's to hold your ground. So, you know, uh, not in the in the sense of living in Florida. But uh, but stand there, and then you know you could drop your gaze a little bit, you know, rather than rather than stare at somebody and cause more aggression. But drop your gaze, but not so far that you're uh, <clears throat> that you're you've lost your presence. That you're actually giving in a body language that shows that you've completely given up and surrendered, where somebody can um, take advantage of you. And if someone comes to hit you, you should defend yourself, not necessarily let yourself get hit. So it's <clears throat> excuse me. I think that if, if, if one is practicing and trying to, endeavoring to live out of your awareness rather than out of your paranoid, anybody's paranoid thought process, some awareness is out there, then there's going to be more insecurity about it, but a lot more clarity around a situational, uh, as we call, talk about situational ethics. You'll, you'll, situational, you'll know what to do because you're so clear because it's not, it's not bound up with thoughts about the past dead concepts, dead ethics, dead, dead, dead. Somebody made them up to protect something. I'm not saying we shouldn't have guidelines. We do. We have 16 precepts. And as my teacher uh, told me when I asked him if I could <coughs> take the precepts with, it, with him, he said, took advantage of that situation and said, you don't take precepts, you observe them. And so it was a powerful thing to teaching for me to actually see what that is and see how it applies and how it doesn't apply and how it, it's their, their living uh, precepts, those uh, 16, yes. Whenever a paranoid thought arises and emotion follows it, um, where can we move our awareness to where we can ex experience the un unrealness of what just occurred? So let's just start with uh, just experiencing it rather than the unrealness of it. So just let's start with uh, with that. So paranoid comes up, just stay in the body. This, the five sense consciousnesses are, might feel, they might be reacting to what's happening in the mind, but if you stay with 
sense of touch, sense of taste, sense of smell, sense of hearing, sense of seeing. Just stay in those. And, and, and don't try to stop the paranoia. Let the paranoia, par paranoia is your Dharma gate. If that's happening, sit and watch the paranoia come and watch and see if it can find somebody to freak out. The paranoia is, if you're looking at paranoia, then, then you're looking at paranoia. So uh, if you're looking at that, and so, so much that you can actually give it a name, then there's some kind of separation going on. So that's, that's an opportunity to look at it because at some point it might get you by the throat. You know, and that means you, you're no longer looking at the paranoia. You are paranoid and you're, you're on the move and you're running out of here or you're, you know, jumping off, uh, uh, tall buildings with a single bound. Isn't that what Superman did? Yeah. He was paranoid. Kryptonite and all that stuff. Follow me. Yeah. So it's always, again, it's always about the awareness. Those look like mechanical dominoes. Yeah. So we're at the end of our, uh, sojourn here, so thank you so much. Let's again remind everybody about the donation boxes that's in the hallway. Or if you prefer PayPal online, that can be arranged as can your debit and credit cards be accessed. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way.